Open God's Word to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're in a summer series through the book of 1 John. Today I want to talk to you about a very important subject, being sure of your salvation. I don't know of any other topic that has brought more people into my office over the years than that topic. Pastor, I'm not sure I'm a say, that I'm saved. Can you help me with that? I, I just don't know. I know that I've prayed. I, I've been baptized. In fact, I've been baptized several times or I, I have uh, prayed several times. And, and I just don't know. I just can't be at peace. I, I'm, sh- I'm not sure. I'm scared that maybe I'm not saved. And over and over and over, that topic arises in all ages of people, in all different stages of life. Being unsure of your salvation is probably the most perplexing and agonizing experience that a Christian can have. Now, let me be clear about something. The way that you obtain salvation is remarkably simple. Even the youngest child can understand it and experience it. But being sure of your salvation can be disturbingly complicated. It's not that we don't know the plan of salvation. That's not the issue. The issue is... I know the plan of salvation. I just can't seem to take another step to the point where I feel like I truly am saved. And so it can be a a disturbingly complicated issue as we try to wade through our past experiences and try to figure out if we really have been saved. And here's what happens sometimes. After you've prayed again or been baptized again and somewhere along the way, a, a temporary feeling of euphoria sets in because now you're finally certain, now you finally have peace, but eventually that confidence fades. And eventually, anxiety and uncertainty about your soul returns. And you're left wondering if God will in the end let you into heaven. So many str- people struggle with this basic, simple question. How can I know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that I'm saved? Did you know that people asked that question even in the early days of Christianity? It's kind of remarkable to me that even in the early days of Christianity, they were wrestling with that same issue. In fact, you're in 1 John. I want you to go to chapter 5. I want you to see how this book ends. John chapter 5, let's go to the end of the book. Interesting how John ends this book. He says in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, look at the first half and then look at the second half of that verse. In the first half, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. John was writing to believers. And he says, I want you believers to know that you have eternal life. You see, believers can and do doubt their salvation. That's why John says, I have written these things. Now what things was he referring to? Well, throughout the book, John tells us different ways that we can know that we know Jesus. He tells us in chapter... Chapter 2, he tells us chapter 3, he tells us chapter 4, and he tells us in chapter 5. Six different places in four different chapters. John weaves through his book this, this checklist, if you will. Here's how you can know that you know him. Here's how you can know that you know him. Chapter 3, here's how you can know that you can know him. Chapter 4, here's how you know that you can know him. Chapter 5, throughout the book, John again and again and again weaves through the book Different evidences of salvation. Different ways that you can examine your own life, your own profession of faith, 
and determine if you truly are saved. And so he says, I'm writing these things so that you may know. You might want to underline that word. Know, not hope, not reasonably sure, but know. God does not want your eternal destiny to be a question mark in your mind. God wants you to have a certainty about your salvation. And so going back to chapter 2, John gives us the first evidence. 1 John chapter 2, the first evidence that you truly are born again. That you really are saved. He says, here's, here's the way you can tell. Chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write, these, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone, anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys His word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. You know, when people are trying to get assurance of their salvation, it's very common for them to go back to that time and to that place where they pray to prayer. In their mind, they go back to that time and to that place as best they can. Sometimes people say, I don't, I don't remember the time, I don't remember the place. But, but some people will go back to that time and that place when they pray to prayer, trying to get assurance of their salvation. And here's what they do. In their mind, they'll go back to that particular time. Maybe it was at a camp. Maybe it was at a church altar. Maybe it was in the bedroom with your parents. But in your mind, you go back to that place and to that time, and you ask yourself questions like this. Did I understand what I was doing? Or you'll ask yourself this question. Did I really mean what I said? Or you'll ask yourself a question like this. Did I say it right? Did you know? Did, did, did I did I say the right things? Did did I say the right? Did I say it right? I want you to listen to me, and I'm going to flesh this out in a minute. But I want you to listen to me. What I'm about to tell you is very important. I want everybody to look right here. Listen to me. Your salvation never has and never will depend on you. You see, when you go back to, to your experience and you're asking, did I say it right? Did I think it right? Did I mean it? Did I understand it? There, I understand that there's a need for that. There's a need to make sure that you understand what you're doing. There's a need to, to make sure that, that you really mean what you say. I'm not doubting that whatsoever. But too often we go back, when we're trying to get assurance of our salvation, we go back to our experience and the emphasis is on us. Did I? Do it right, say it right, mean it, etc., etc. Ladies and gentlemen, your salvation does not depend upon you. It depends upon Jesus. You might need to go back a little further than just that time when you prayed. You might need to go on back to Jesus. That's what John is doing right here in the first two verses. Look what he says. My dear children. He starts out in verse 1. John, 1 John chapter 2. My dear children. John wrote these words when he was a very old man, perhaps the last living apostle. And he's writing in his old age to people who are much younger than him. Than him. They're much younger physically and they are much younger spiritually. They have not walked with the Lord as long as he has. And so when he writes to them, he refers to them as my dear children. John has a pastor's heart and he cares for the people deeply that he's writing to. And John wanted to be very clear about something. 
He said, I want to start out by making sure you understand I am not taking sin lightly. Now, why would he say what he did in the first uh, verse? I write this to you so that you will not sin. Why would he say that? Because if you back up to chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, John tells the people that he's writing to that sin is a universal experience. And, good news, there's forgiveness for sin. Verse 9, if you sin... If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know about you, I think that's a good deal. Anybody else here believe that's a good deal? It's a good deal. One, sin is a universal experience. We all struggle with it. Two, if you do sin, God offers forgiveness. Just confess your sin. God's faithful and just to forgive you. I'm telling you what, that is a good deal. But, because it is such a good deal, some people are so likely to go down the road of, well, I can do this and be forgiven. Well, I can just live any way I want to and be forgiven. I, I, I can go sleep with her and be forgiven. I, I can go drink that or go there and be forgiven because it's right here in the text. And so John understands how we all think. John says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. I am not taking sin lightly, he is saying, nor should you. I'm writing to you that you will not sin. But, he says, he says, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I have found over the years that one of the reasons that people struggle with their salvation is because they struggle with their sin. Because they struggle with their sin, they ask themselves, could a Christian really do this? If I was saved, would I really do this? If I was saved, would I continue to have this ongoing problem? And we struggle with our salvation because we struggle with our sin. John says, let me take you back to the starting point of assurance. The starting point of assurance is what you have in Jesus Christ as a believer in Him. What do you have? Well, he tells us in the second part of the verse. He says, I, if anybody does sin, we have, I would, I would ask you to underline that, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You see, knowing what we have in Jesus is essential to knowing assurance that we know Him. Or having assurance that we know Him. John says, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. The King James Version uses another word. What's the word it uses there? An advocate. We have an advocate. You know what the, what the word advocate means? It means literally someone who comes alongside to speak on your behalf. Much like today, we would refer to a lawyer. John says, listen, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. I want to make sure you understand that. Not taking sin lightly. But, if anybody does sin, and we know we're going to, right? You're going to try not to, but tomorrow or the next day or next week, you're going to mess up. You're, you're just, you're just going to, that's just who we are. We still have that fallen nature, though we, we have Jesus on the inside, and so we struggle sometimes with sin. John says, I want you to know something. I want you to know that you have an advocate. You have one called alongside to help you. And let me tell you who this advocate is. Jesus Christ, comma, what's the rest of it say? The righteous one. Now, why is that important? It's important because the one who comes alongside you to stand in your defense, when he speaks to the Father, 
He's not going to do what most lawyers do. You know what most lawyers do when they stand in your defense? When most lawyers stand in your defense, they try to convince the judge or the jury that you're a good person. They try to convince the judge or the jury that there are extenuating circumstances. They try to convince the judge or the jury your innocence. Jesus does not do that with your Heavenly Father. He does not stand before the Heavenly Father and says, Well, there's Keith, and let me try to convince you he's not as bad as he looks. No, when he stands before the Heavenly Father, here's what he does. He stands before the Heavenly Father. He does not plead my innocence. He pleads His innocence. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And I stand before God, not because of who I am. I stand before God because of who's standing beside me. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He doesn't ask for forgiveness based upon my worthiness. He asks for forgiveness based upon His worthiness. He asks and pleads for forgiveness based on something else as well. In the second part of the, that verse, he, he explains it this way. Not only is He our advocate, in verse 2, He, the one who is our advocate, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The atoning sacrifice. And again, in the King James, it uses the word propitiation. It's a big word. I like the word atoning sacrifice because I can say it easier. He's the atoning sacrifice. Let me tell you what that word atoning sacrifice means. The word atoning sacrifice or propitiation, it literally means one who absorbs the wrath. Jesus experienced the holy wrath of God against our, against our sin. He suffered the full penalty in our place. He was our sacrifice. He experienced God's wrath against sin. And we may not be worthy to be forgiven, but He is worthy to forgive us. Because He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The message translation says, when He served as a sacrifice for our sins, He solved the sin problem for good. Now, what does all that have to do with, with your blessed assurance? Jesus is mine. Let me tell you something. Assurance of salvation is not found in the word do. Assurance of, of salvation is found in the word Done. You see, so often our assurance is tied to the word do. i got to do this and do that and do this and do that, and, and I hope I do it right, and I hope I do enough. That's, that's not where you find assurance of salvation. You find assurance of salvation in the word done. Jesus Christ has accomplished my salvation. He has died as my sacrifice. He experienced the judgment of my sin. And I don't have to add anything to it. It's Jesus plus nothing equals assurance. It's done. It's done. Now, you see, the starting point, trying to understand if you're saved or not, the starting point is not that day that you prayed a prayer. The starting point goes beyond that. It's going all the way back to what Jesus did on the cross for you. The old, the old hymn says it best, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So, 
That's the first way that you obtain assurance is understanding what you have in Jesus Christ. But John says, but there's another piece to that puzzle as you're trying to understand if you have salvation or not. And here's the second piece of that puzzle. The greatest evidence that you know God is your desire to obey Him. That's the second piece of the puzzle. The greatest evidence that you know God is your desire to obey Him. You see, there are three motives to obedience. You might say three levels of obedience. There, there are those who, who obey because they have to. That, that would be like a slave who obeys because he has no other choice. And then the second level, there are those who obey because they need to. That would be an employee who perhaps doesn't agree with the, the boss's decision, but he has to obey because he's got a family to feed and clothe. It doesn't, it's not that he wants to, but he needs to, so he obeys. The third level of obedience is when we obey because we want to. We obey out of a heart of love. It's the kind of obedience that God wants in your life and in mine. Not an obedience because I have to. Not, be, not an obedience because I need to and I need to get something out of God. But an obedience that says, I'm going to obey because I love the one who has asked me to obey Him. It's an obedience based upon I want to. John says it this way, verse 3. It's a key verse in the whole text. He says, we know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. We know that we have come to know Him if we have prayed the sinner's prayer. That's not what it says. We know that we have come to know Him if there was a time when we went forward. That's not what it says. We know that we, we have, if we were baptized. No, 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 no. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey. His commands. Now let me put you at ease for just a second because I know what some of you are thinking. Your mind is racing and say, well, I try to obey and I want to obey and I do obey, but boy, sometimes I really mess up. This is not saying that we would obey God perfectly, but it does mean this. Inside, I have this, this disposition. I have this desire to obey God. I, I, that's, the, that's the issue. I have a desire in me to obey God. And I won't do it perfectly. I won't do it every day the way I want to do it. But deep down inside, even when I mess up, there's this desire that wants me to come back and obey. Even when I've failed Him and when I've sinned, there's this desire inside me that draws me back to Him. And I want to obey Him. John says, here's how you can know if you've truly been saved. Is there a desire in your life that you obey Him? Is there evidence in your life that you are obedient to Him? And some of you have had this experience, uh, I'm guessing. Probably where you work or maybe where you go to school, you, you've, you've got somebody that, that you've encountered that, you know, he, he's just a rough guy. You know, he, he's just one of those guys that uh, every, every Monday he's bragging about the the girls he slept with on Saturday, he's, he's, he's always going out drinking, he's, he's partying, he's, you know, he's smoking dope, he's just doing all kinds of crazy stuff, he's got a foul mouth, he's, he's telling dirty jokes, and, 
And, and you know, you, you just get really concerned for them. And so you're asking your BSF class to pray for them. And you're, you're, you come to the pastor and say, Pastor, I, I need to talk to this guy. I mean, he's going to split hell wide open unless somebody steps in and helps him. And, I, and, and so, you, you know, I give you a little help and I pray with you and your BSF class prays with you. And one day you finally get up the courage to go witness to him. And you're at work or you're at school and the, kind of the door just opens and, and you start to tell him about your faith and how Christ has changed your life. And, and he interrupts you and he says, are you witnessing to me? And kind of awkward silence for a moment. You think, well, I'm just kind of telling you how Christ has made a difference in me. And, he's, and then he says, dude, don't worry about me. I'm saved. I'm already a Christian. I mean, I got saved when I was 10 years old. I was at a kid's camp. Remember very vividly, I got baptized. I even went on a mission trip when I was 13. Don't worry. I know Jesus. Don't worry about me. And then you stand there stunned trying not to let your mouth drop open because you've never even imagined based upon what you've seen in his life that he is a Christian. And yet he's standing there telling you that he is. So is he? Now that's way above what I can answer, so I'm going to let John answer it for you. Verse 4. The man who says I know him but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Let that sink in for a moment. Not the man who says, well, yeah, I was at a camp, and I prayed this prayer, and I got baptized. I even went on a mission trip. No. Not the man who says, boy, I tell you what, I cried crocodile tears on that altar. No. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. The tenses of the verb are important in this verse. The, in, in the Greek language, it's the present active tense, which means continuous action. A.T. Robertson, the great scholar, translated the verse this way. Listen carefully. He said, the one who keeps on saying, I have come to know him, and keeps on not keeping His commandments, is a liar. These are the kind of people that Jesus spoke about in Matthew seven twenty one when He said, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who, listen to this, only he who does the will of My Father. That's what Jesus said. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everybody who calls Me Lord is getting in, but only he who does the will of My Father. Jesus said, you want to know the test of true salvation? It's obedience. Not perfect obedience. Not I, I got a star every day because I did so well. But just that desire inside for obedience. So if you're struggling with being sure of your salvation, ask yourself, do I have a desire and a willingness to obey God? By the way, here's where Baptists sometimes get, get kind of confused on something. And you're going to ask me about this after the service. I'm going to go ahead and answer it now. So I won't have to answer it three times or ten times. Pastor, doesn't the Bible teach once saved, always saved? Listen carefully. Listen, listen. Are you listening? Wake your neighbor up so you need to hear this. Doesn't the Bible say once saved, always saved? Doesn't the Bible teach once saved, always saved? Are you listening? Absolutely, yes, without question. I believe the Bible teaches once saved, always saved. But, the question I would have is this. 
make sure there is a once saved before you claim always saved. It's not once prayed, always saved. It's not once baptized, always saved. We believe it's once, once there has been true salvation, you're always going to be saved. But the question is, has there been true salvation? How do you know? The man who says, I I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. This is how we know. This is how we know. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I don't know about you, but I'm in trouble now. Whoever claims to walk in Him or to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. But if you think about it, here's how Jesus lived. Jesus lived with a desire to obey the Heavenly Father. Now, He's the only one who obeyed the Heavenly Father perfectly. But what John is talking about here is, there needs to be in your life and in mine, if you truly are saved, you need to do what Jesus... Look at it again, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. That is, you must have a desire, a deep-seated desire, to walk in a way that is in obedience to God. And Jesus exemplified that throughout His life. The disciples one day said, teach us how to pray. And He says, okay, here's how you do it. Pray it like this. Our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. And then, he, and then make sure you say this. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He was talking about obedience. Talk about obedience. Then when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He said, Lord, if there's any other way, please let this cut pass from Me. But nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will be done. He was talking about Obedience. If you want to know if you've truly been saved, ask yourself, do I have a desire? That entered inward desire, compulsion to obey. And when I mess up and when I stray, do I have that conviction that pulls me back because I want to obey Him again? I want you to bow your heads and let's think about that. I want you to bow your heads and let me talk to you for a moment. Listen, just listen to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It's a verse that many of you know, many of you have memorized it. You use it, in fact, in in witnessing. I've used it hundreds of times. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you notice what the starting point is here of salvation? The starting point of salvation is this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That is, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, you're the boss in my life, I'm going to obey you. You see, from the very beginning... Word of God has always indicated to us it's not just that you pray to prayer. 
Though you need to pray and ask God to forgive you. You need to pray and ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life. But it's not just the words that you say. It's not just that you pray a prayer. It's when you confess, Jesus, I will obey you. Jesus is Lord. And when you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's when you experience true salvation. And when you experience true salvation, your talk will match your walk. Again, not perfectly. But you'll be trying to live out what you claim uh, you have done. You'll be trying to live out your decision that you made for Jesus. So I'm really not too interested in what did you do back there when you were 10? Though that's important. But a greater question is, what are you doing right now? After you prayed that prayer when you were 10, did anything change? Has anything changed because you prayed that prayer? It ought to. Because when you pray that prayer of salvation, here's the prayer, Jesus is Lord. And if He's Lord, things will change in your life. If you look back and nothing has changed, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar today and give your life to Christ. And to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead. And the Bible says, you will be saved. You can nail that down today. Some of you have no assurance of salvation. You need to get that assurance today. Not based upon what you've done, but based upon who He is. Some of you say, Pastor, I I do have that desire to obey. Then you just remember that when you sin, you have an advocate who is also your atoning sacrifice, and you just thank Him. Thank Him for what He has done and is doing on your behalf. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that if there's anybody here and they're struggling with their salvation, I pray that, that Lord, if, if they look at their life and they don't see change, they don't see a heart change, they don't have a desire to... to obey you. They, they're just holding on to their ticket that they got one day years ago. I pray, Father, that you'll convince them of their need of salvation. And then, Lord, for those who, who have struggled with the, the whole issue of, of salvation, they really have an inward desire to obey you. I pray you'd give them the comfort and the peace of knowing you know them and they know you. And I ask that in Christ's name. Amen.